0: Welcome to the Sustainable Nano Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Krause. Well, here we are in August 2020. It's been quite a summer. The Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology hosted a 10-week summer undergraduate research experience, believe it or not. All virtual, of course. Like so many things this year, the experience was not what we had expected. But we had an amazing group of students who made the best of a difficult situation under all kinds of challenging circumstances. And they really came together as a community. If you follow us on Twitter, you will have seen some of their great outreach work already, and we have a blog post coming up very soon from one of the students, Min Tem Huang. We'll link to that in the show notes as soon as it's up. Oh, and guess what? If you caught our last episode, you heard about our big proposal to the National Science Foundation for the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology to get renewed for another five years. Well, we got it. That means five more years of sustainable nanotechnology research, and hopefully five more years of the podcast as well. But first things first, on today's episode, I'm so excited to finally share a really happy and cheerful interview from about a million years ago, pre-COVID. Two of our CSN graduate students from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Liz LaDadia and Paige Kinsley, got together with University of Minnesota student Stephanie Mitchell to talk about the joys of doing improv comedy and how that relates to science communication. A lot has changed since last fall, of course, not least of which is that Liz has graduated and is now Dr. Laudadio, so I asked her to come back for a quick update before we get to the main interview. Thank you so much for coming back to the podcast for um, this little mini-interview to introduce our episode about uh, improvisation and science communication, and um, bittersweet because, of course, part of the reason that uh, we're doing this right now is that you were about to leave the center, so... Can you tell us a little bit about where you're headed and what you're going to be doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I joined the center in 2015. I just defended my thesis a couple months ago in May. Um, I had a great opportunity to stick around this past summer, helping out with some virtual RAU programs at UW-Madison.
0: And that's the summer undergraduate virtual programs that we did. Yep. Yes,
1: yes. The virtual uh, research experiences for undergrads. And starting in a little over a week, I am beginning a postdoc position at Argonne National Laboratories, specifically in the analytical chemistry group in the chemical fuel cycles and technologies division there. So I'm, I'm very excited for that next step. That's
0: awesome. Can you say a little bit more about like, what about the science there is exciting for you?
1: Sure. So, um, it's going to be a big departure from what I'm used to. The subject matter is is very new to me. The lab studies a lot of um, nuclear chemistry and radiochemistry, both for uh, studying the chemistries and, and optimizing nuclear reactors and also um, creating radioisotopes for things like medical imaging and stuff. So very new field. However, as is in the name of analytical chemistry laboratory, um, I think that um, I'll be able to apply a lot of the skills that I've learned in graduate
0: school to this new research topic. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Great. And then as people will hear in the interview, you talk a fair amount about how improv, you found it relevant to teaching. Um, Is that something that you're still interested in in the future? Or um, are you kind of going off in a different direction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love teaching and I really enjoyed doing some work with the virtual undergrad experiences this summer. I find it to be a really enjoyable challenge. I think that It's overwhelming, but it's also really exciting uh, to have the opportunity to try new things and see it work and and know that you've impacted someone's experience positively because of that. And I was really excited to explore government and national lab postdocs because I realized that um, I didn't know anything about science outside of academia. And so for me, this is an opportunity to see what it's like in a different environment and see if that's something I like. But I know that no matter what I end up doing long term, I'll definitely still be teaching in, in some way or another. Thanks. So
0: the last thing before we get on with the full interview with you and Paige, one thing that struck me in the interview was that both of you talked a lot about how you found improv so kind of beneficial and helpful in areas that had nothing to do with comedy that's what a lot of people think about when they hear the word improv and obviously everything has changed since you did the interview you know you all were doing like performances and in-person classes and now here we are in the middle of the covid pandemic and i'm sure that's very much changed but i'm curious to hear if you have any reflections on kind of what you've taken away from that experience and how improv is still relevant
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this before we uh, started our conversation this morning. And um, I think it's safe to say that we all have a little bit of improv experience now. Um, You know, four months ago or whatever, we all had to change our our whole lives, our whole jobs, uh, kind of at the drop of a hat. And no one had that experience. um, But everyone just kind of had to try it and see what happens. And I know that that affected people in the classroom. It affected what what science looks like, what it means to do science remotely. And it also, it impacts communication. You know, we're so lucky that this is happening in an era where it's so easy to stay connected with people, but there's still so much lost or or things that need to be adjusted to by not having that face-to-face interaction. And so, you know, the way we communicate with one another has shifted a lot and there's a lot to adjust to not having the same level of in-person interaction with one another. And so for those reasons, I think that um, you know the skills of improv are really useful in helping to kind of guide me in that kind of adjustment. Um, and so again, I think we talk a lot in the podcast about just improv as a communication tool um, broadly. And I think that that's been one of the biggest benefits for me is just you know, being able to communicate in different environments, in situations with people with different communication styles, and all of that's kind of amplified now that all of our all of our talking is done over you know the
0: internet absolutely. yeah. Um, do you know is is the Atlas theater that you mentioned in the in the interview? are they doing any online? like activities? Or are they just kind of on hold?
1: Yeah, to my knowledge, they're not doing anything online. I think that they are on hold. I, I I can't imagine. I'm sure they all miss it a lot. You know, they had shows. They had two shows every Friday and Saturday night. They had classes and workshops. And um, all of that, unfortunately, has come to a halt. So, a plug for them once this is all over everyone should go out and support
0: them if they're in the area yeah absolutely hopefully it will be sooner rather than later absolutely yeah well thank you for coming coming back to do this little mini uh intro for the interview it's been a great pleasure having you in the center and a repeat guest and contributor to the podcast so hopefully this won't be the last time absolutely thanks miriam thanks again liz and now without further ado here is Stephanie Mitchell interviewing Lizla Daddio and Paige Kinsley.
2: Hi, my name is Stephanie. I am a graduate student at the University of Minnesota, and I am joined with two other graduate students from the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology to talk about their experience in improv. Uh, but first, you all can introduce yourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a fifth-year graduate student at uh, the
3: University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I work uh, in the group of Professor Robert Hamers. Um, And I'm Paige. I'm a third-year at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I also work in Bob Hamer's group.
2: Awesome. Yeah, so we're here in Madison. We were here for our conference, so it was the perfect time to talk about... Uh, everybody's experience in improv, mine being uh, 20 minutes, and you all had taken a class. Uh, so to start, can you talk about what improv means?
3: Um, so improv, or generally the full term is like improvised comedy, is something where um, everything is made up on the spot. So it sort of feels a little bit like a normal thing like play or theater sometimes where you have actors on the stage, they ha- are in characters, but all of the words that they say, all of the things that they do, they make up as they go. Um, often in an improv scene, someone will ask something like some sort of suggestion from the audience, whether it's a thing or a non-geographic location or something like that, um, just to sort of get the players to get going, having, give them a jumping off point. Um, and then they sort of just go. Improv can be, you can have different games, so essentially give the players different hoops to sort of jump through to make it a little bit more interesting, but um, it sort of, it it depends on what kind of improv you're doing. Anything to add, Liz?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Paige did a great job. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like elements of improv that... Um, are useful for all people in everyday life is learning how to tell stories, Mm. think on the spot, and interact with others.
2: Uh, So what inspired you both to start taking these classes? Um, So the
1: class is called Improv to Improve Science, Communication, and Education. And it's a class through the Delta Program in Teaching, Learning, and Research at UW-Madison, which is a program that offers teaching professional development opportunities for graduate students. And so when I started my PhD, I knew I wanted to be involved in the Delta program. Um, I saw this course as an opportunity, and honestly, it just sounded fun. <laughs> um, and it was. It was um, a great way to spend two hours on a Wednesday afternoon, um, but... We also both learned a lot. (laughs) And then I'll let Paige speak for herself, but I think I told her about it and told
3: her to take it. That's exactly what happens. Um, I think it... I don't know if it had been on my radar before Liz told me about it, but as soon as she did, I was like, oh man, that's going to be so much fun. Um, I had... I don't know about you, Liz. I had had... Like in high school, I had done some amount of theater um, and had been exposed to what improv was. Previous, I did a little bit of it in high school, and then I like one of my housemates in undergrad was on like the professional improv team at the University of North Carolina because we have one of those. Um, and so I like I had exposure to it. I had an idea of what it was, but before this class, I like the only experiences I had with it were like I'm not very good at this. Um, so, it's being
2: good at it. Being able to cope in the new situations. That's what being good at improv Yeah,
3: is. and sort of being able to think on your feet and do it coherently, I think, mm. is important, right? Anybody can just say words. Um, but I think having them mean something and, like, add to the story and also potentially be funny. That's always fun, but never necessarily the intention. Um, but I think that those skills I didn't think I had, I had at that point. Um, So going into this class, it was a little bit of, this seems fun. I don't know how it's going to go, but I think even just like the title of it, I think the idea of using improv and that sort of thing to help like with things that are really like practical day to day, like our ability to teach and, and communicate and, and, present our work is really important. And so finding a way to like attack it from a different angle, I was like, heck yeah, I'm ready.
2: Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting you mentioned the goal isn't to be funny because that's always what I think about Mm -hmm. for improv. I think about people coming in with sketches and their goal is to be funny and get their audience to laugh, but that's not really the skills that you all intended Mm -hmm. to take away from this so much. So can you talk about some of the things that you learned that were particularly interesting or things that have really helped you when you think about teaching or communicating your science?
3: I mean, so I think one of the core like mantras maybe of improv, it's one of the first things that you really learn in any improv class, whether it's with a bunch of... STEM graduate students or in an improv class like at an improv company um, is the idea of yes and, um, where essentially when you're on stage, you don't want to kill a scene. Um, you don't want to shut down people's ideas because what happens is that things will just sort of fall to pieces from there. Um, so the idea of yes and is essentially someone makes a suggestion and you validate it and then add to it, right? So you say yes, that's great. And this is also something that I'm sort of building to. Um and while it makes sense for storytelling. I think Liz and I have both experienced the idea of yes and in just like talking with like people in lab or um talking with our parents, honestly. Like it's 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 a skill that we as we Especially, I think, as, like, English speakers, we tend to say either yes, but, or no, but.
2: No, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> right?
3: Um, and we do it, I think it's just sort of, like, part of the, like, I don't even know, it's like the vernacular in a way. We don't do we do it, and we don't even think about it, mm-hmm. um, but sort of the implications of saying no, but, or yes, but, even, is, it's just like, it's, you're batting down someone's idea, even in the smallest of ways, mm-hmm. which means the, the conversation's already probably not going to be in a super good place. Um, So the idea of yes and, I think, has sort of been transformative in just day-to-day things.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. For me, it's been super useful in thinking about how to, like, collaborate and work with people and have productive conversations. Because when you're doing an improv scene, yes, and is a really great way, as Paige said, to validate what has been brought to the table and then move the story forward. And... It's actually been really helpful to start thinking about everyday conversations in that same way. You want to be able to be productive and make connections with people and have the conversation lead to something new. Um, And so using yes and in those situations is really helpful. Even if it is a challenging conversation, I think people may assume that you can't say yes and if you disagree with someone, but you can. And it's actually really powerful and it shows the person you're talking to that you respect and hear them. Um, and also you're able to communicate maybe a difference of opinion in a way that is still constructive.
2: So that normally would go yes. And, and you give credence to
3: someone else's idea and then you follow, but a, with a yes, but I have this opinion. You don't no. even need to do the, I, get, I feel like that's usually how we feel. We, like, but is necessary if we disagree, but it's not necessarily the case. I say like I'm presenting data um, to Liz and I'm like, I think I'm going to interpret it this way. And I think this is sort of what it means. Um, and then I don't know what you could say. <laughs> Go. We're improvising. Let's. We're <laughs> okay, improvising. But
1: pop, let's do it as a scene.
3: Okay. Um, hey Liz. So I just took some of this, um, IR data and I see this peak here and I definitely think it means that I have things on the surface.
1: Yeah, I think this data looks really great, and it's it's encouraging to see that you're seeing peaks in the spectrum. Have you thought about anything else
3: that that peak may represent? I haven't. That's a really good point. Thank you. Something like see? that. See. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, that seems sort of silly, but I yeah. think it's a good, and I think it's a good example <laughs> of um, sort of finding ways to not like insult people without them realizing like it's like it's just a it's a more positive way of talking and communicating with people right so like in that situation Paige was telling me that she took
1: this data and she thinks it means something and i was coming at it from an angle of i don't agree with Paige. i don't think that what she's saying is correct (laughs) but how can i say that to her in a way that isn't shutting her down and is validating the work that she's done and helping her move forward Mm -hmm. and you can hear that I didn't actually say the words yes and. It's more of like a mentality and a mindset and the way you approach the conversation than having to like explicitly say yes and mm-hmm. all of the time, which would yeah.
3: wear on anyone. <laughs> it's, but I think when we first learned it after class, like one of the so, um, the teacher that we had for this class. So we both took the class, but it was in two different semesters. Um, with, her name is Anne Lynn Gillian Daniel, and she is the education and outreach director, um, at the MRSAC here, um, at UW-Madison, um, which is the materials research science and engineering center. But one of the things that she ate, like, after the week of yes and and sort of learning about it, um, she gave us, like, a homework assignment. Homework, right? It's not really homework, but she's like, think about like in the next week, every time you are going to say yes, but or no, but take a step back and see if you can replace it. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that exercise, like initially you're going to only say yes. And because you have to like sort of force yourself into the structure. Um, but that exercise alone was like wild. It was so, it seems like so silly, right? You place a couple words with a couple other words, but it was like, quite transformative as far as, like, interactions with, with peers and also, like, our boss, right? It mm-hmm. just sort of changed how we communicated. But in teaching, I think it's also yeah. something that's really good and really hard sometimes. Um, because if you're teaching a class and, like, you ask for an answer, somebody gives you the wrong answer, you want to validate them as a person, but you don't necessarily want to validate the answer. So finding ways to use yes and while also ensuring that you're, like, not... Teaching the wrong yeah. thing um, can be hard, but I think again the idea of yes and is a, a sort of a way to like really build a positive atmosphere in a classroom instead of the kind of atmosphere where you have the wrong answer and you're immediately shut down, mm-hmm. right? Um, yes and is yes, that's an interesting idea. And have you thought about this? Yeah. And like, why did you get to the answer that you got? Right. It's but it's more it's generally more proactive and more productive as far yeah. as making students think about why they answered the way they did and like how it might, like why it might be wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so I
1: have continued my involvement in Delta. And as part of that, I was doing some guest teaching at um, Madison area technical college. Like I guess it was probably two years after I had taken this improv course and I I actually got feedback from the faculty whose class I was teaching about how well I was able to um, handle it when students answered questions wrong. Mm -hmm. And I do think it is that kind of that yes and attitude of not shutting them down and guiding them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Just remembering that like it's it's all about learning, I think, especially with science We get focused on the answer and if the answer is right or wrong. And that's not really an inclusive way to teach science. And so if you can help students think about why they're thinking what they're thinking, and if you can learn about why they're thinking what they're thinking, you can be a better teacher
2: and they will also learn more. Yeah, that's probably super powerful as PhD students when there's no right answer anymore. We're all making new discoveries. So it all has to be yes. And (laughs) you need to learn that when something goes wrong, it's it's not the end. It's not a failure. We all have to come across them with having little blips and moving forward like that. Yeah. Um, so being STEM students, we kind of have this stereotype of being nerdy and, um, like a little big bang theory, (laughs) I guess. Um, so thinking about STEM students in this kind of improv situation is super interesting because even I did as a part of the conference we were at just 20 minutes doing an improv activity the other day and the barrier for me to get into that space where I could be free to follow the instructions and the prompts in this 20 minutes with a bunch of people I've never met before. was really difficult. And so did you guys experience similar things? I know you've had training before with the improv Mm -hmm. page, but I don't know about you, Liz, if this was something that was, took a little more practice for you to get over, or you noticed other people really growing or trying to fight against it, maybe (laughs) even a little in the beginning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like, um, I think that when I took the class, I knew that I was already like I'm a pretty good communicator, like in formal settings, um, and that's that's been true for a while. But I'm also a fairly shy person, and not maybe the best at things like small talk. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of where I was coming into it from, and um, I, the biggest challenge for me at the beginning was like being really in my head and not wanting to say something stupid, not wanting to say the wrong thing. And something that I really learned through improv, um, both in this class and beyond, is like you are a better listener if you can figure out a way not to pre-plan. Mm-hmm. Um, a big theme in the class was um, we, would, we would do these exercises where you'd be in a line and you'd be waiting to do uh, this little bit. And you'd get to the front of the line, and our teacher would say, Okay, now throw out whatever you've been thinking about and start fresh. And so, like, the idea of not pre planning, I think, is really important because when we first started doing those exercises, I would be in the line and I would be thinking about what I was going to say, and I was not listening to anything else that was going on or learning from anyone else. Um, And as someone who is kind of shy, Um, doesn't always know what to say. I am in my head a lot. And I think that that's been really valuable to, to try and challenge myself on that, to be a better communicator and a better listener.
2: Yeah. It seems like it would definitely increase your ability to be dynamic and engage in those moments. I've recently gotten over my fear of public speaking and there are times when I'd be asked to give a talk in front of a class and I would practice it over and over and over again beforehand until I had really memorized it. But then I would get up in front of the class and my fear of speaking in front of everyone would cause me to essentially black out, not remember anything I said and remember if I fumbled through my words, even finished a sentence or anything like that. Yeah. So not pre-planning I'm sure is super important for keeping a dynamic presentation, engaging with your audience, even as far as a chemistry skill and a teaching skill mm-hmm. to make sure you're checking in with your students.
3: I mean, I think, so sort of going off that, I think getting out of your head is important and it's like really challenging. And it's especially challenging if you're in a space where you don't necessarily know anybody. Um, so I think the cool thing about this class and the challenge of just doing like a 20 minute or two hour workshop even, yeah. um, is that if you don't know the people you're around, you, obviously your barriers are up a little bit more. Um, so this class was 10 weeks, I think. So it was, it was essentially the entire semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to slowly build a rapport with the other people in class that were strangers previously, right? They're we're a bunch of STEM grad students, but we're from a huge number of disciplines. So a very, there's a distinct possibility you've never met any of these people mm-hmm. before. Um, but I think part of it is slowly becoming comfortable enough to no longer feel like you need to be in your head. And then once you've sort of dropped that barrier, um, you then realize how, how, how being in your head can sort of detract from just day-to-day interactions honestly but obviously like making a good improv scene is also Mm. part of it um it's a good example of it um and that to like sort of finding a comfortable place um and being comfortable with the people that you're doing it with i think is sort of an important it's like a key aspect in the class which is why i think doing it in like doing improv for scientists in such a situation is really cool because it sort of like it unlocks a door that we wouldn't necessarily be able to see or interact with. Otherwise um, that sort of shows us that we don't need to be in our head. And when we're not, we can actually like become better communicators um, and just like better, potentially better scientists because we're more able to listen to other people actively on the fly um, and sort of absorb things and, and, hopefully add to it from there. So yeah. I imagine, imagine that's that. also
2: super helpful if you're giving a talk and then there's the question time afterwards, oh, which yes. is always the unknown mm-hmm. part that you really have to think on a fly. You generally know how your presentation is going to go, but the questions could be anywhere. And you have to respond to those quickly. Is there anything besides the yes and, and being present that was super influential?
1: Paige just kind of mentioned this when she was talking about her previous experience with improv and, and feeling like, before doing this, it was like something you're not good at. I have air quotes doing that um, And then Steph kind of pro on like what does that mean to be good at improv? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's certainly an impression of like you need to be loud or funny or be mm-hmm. a big character and We've talked about how it can be funny But it should never be your intention to be funny and it almost always will be funny even if it isn't your intention um but I think that a really big part of being good at improv is fitting into a team. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised by how much I learned about working in teams through this experience. And again, it all, it all of this ties together. Being able to yes and, being able to not be in your head are both really important in being able to communicate in a team and create a story or a dialogue. Um, And sometimes that means taking a supporting role. Sometimes you're not going to be in charge. Um, Sometimes the scene or the story is not going to go the way you want it to, but you still need to be there to support and to to guide and and to craft that with people. And so I've learned a lot about being able to let go of how I think things should go. Um, And always at the end, you're like, well, that was, that was really great and we made it together. And I think that's, especially in the CSN where we're so collaborative, it's important to acknowledge that and acknowledge that we're all, Different pieces moving together, um, working towards something greater.
3: I agree with all of the things you just said. That's exactly what it is.
2: Yeah. It continues to speak to the
3: importance of having diverse cast and mm-hmm. whatever you're Definitely. doing. I think that something that is always fun doing any kind of improv scene is that you if you have like three or four people on stage, you have three or four different perspectives and three or four different ideas of how things might go. Um mm-hmm. and so I think one of the funnest things about being on stage is being surprised by other people. Or sometimes by yourself. Sometimes you'll say something and you're like, Okie dokie, <laughs> we're doing <laughs> oh, this, <so. laughs> is this. But I think I that like the like being surprised, like pleasantly surprised, is always mm-hmm. such a fun thing um in creating things like that. And I think like obviously it's a little bit it's easy to see in a five-minute improv scene, right, sort of the -hmm. the fruit, like, how things can come to fruition in that, like, you surprise things, you come up with ideas you never would have thought about, or somebody else does, Um, but I think it can happen in big collaborative centers, like the CSN as well, in that having other perspectives, people will come up with things, and you're like, holy cow, that's something I would never have thought about, but it's such an interesting, like, path that we could follow, Mm -hmm. um... And so I think, if anything, improv has helped me appreciate that idea even more, and that other ideas can be like wonderful and surprising and take us down places that is just just us we wouldn't necessarily have thought about. Yeah, oh,
2: that's such a beautiful place. So, like, <laughs> end, but I have more questions. <laughs> um, maybe my final question: uh, Are you guys still doing improv?
3: Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so after we both took, so after I finished the class, um, which I think was like, um, a year or six months or a year after Liz had done it, um, we had talked about it. We talked about my experience in it. And then we had, I think we had similar positive feelings towards improv as uh, an art form. <laughs> I an guess outlet. We're, an, outlet. An, outlet. an outlet. There we go. I think it's an outlet, <laughs> a hobby. Those are good words. Hoping Um, that yes, a little bit. <laughs> um, and so there is, um, there's a local company in Madison called Atlas Improv um, that is actually, so the class at UW-Madison that we took uh, was created with help from actually one of the company members at Atlas. Like the curriculum development was sort of based off some of the things that they do there. Um, so we had it on the brain. We knew what Atlas was. Um, and they they offer classes for people, the community. Um, so Liz and I decided to take Level 1 together. Was it a, a summer? I don't remember anymore. Yeah, it was like a... It was like a... Last su- summer. Last summer. Uh, we took Level 1 together. Um, and it was just like two hours of happiness and release every mm-hmm. week. It was so fun. Um, Liz and I get along uh, rather well. Um, <laughs> Glad to hear it, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like doing doing improv together, I think probably brought us together even more. And we also got to meet people that weren't students that were just like people that lived in Madison. Mm -hmm. And so talk about increasing the just like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we took level one, we loved it a lot. We took the next class. We still loved it. We took the next class. We still loved it. (laughs) Um,
2: black belt and improv, <laughs>
3: you <Yeah. laughs> Well, we're... N- no. Never. We're still learning, which is great. It's so exciting to know that we can still be learning. Um, mm. But essentially how Atlas is designed is that after you take a certain number of classes, you can create what's called an indie team, um, which is you and other people who've sort of, like, met the level of things, um, and you just, like, get to come together and, like, do improv and are coached by one of the Atlas company members. Mm. Um... We do it like once a week, but I think the coolest thing is that we get to perform on stage with Atlas like once a month. Mm. Um, so we're doing improv like with quote unquote real improvisers. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's such a uh, source of happiness, I think. Yeah. It's just such a different
1: way to use your brain and it's a really good way to um, decompress. Like we now, we practice on Monday nights and like, we are typically coming off of a like two hour group meeting that we have on Monday and then we get to bike over to Atlas and mm-hmm. and have you know two hours of just really exercising a different part of our minds and it's a lot of fun and it's it's been really fun to um, being part of the team, being able to continue to form relationships with people and understand kind of you start to kind of know, how things are going to go based off of who you're working with, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Um,
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think it's a hobby. I think hobby and outlet are both really good ways of capturing sort of what it does for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But still useful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's made me a lot better at, you know, conversing with people, things like networking that, still, I mean, it, networking still terrifies me, but I think I've gotten a lot better at it because if you just, if you can approach it with that same mentality of, you know, we're just going to figure this out as we go, it's
3: a lot easier. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Like a practice in a way for real life.
3: Yeah. Um, I think something that people, it's hard for people to believe is that anyone can do improv. Mm. Um, it's, it's like a scary it's sort of a scary thing it's a little bit intimidating I think um, especially if the only exposure they have to it is something like they know people on Saturday night live were on like did improv before SNL or something like that yeah. right and you're like those are very talented comedians I could never accomplish something like that yeah. um, but it's something that like there are sort of like a couple key tools that you learn uh, to help you along the way but really like Every conversation we have is an improvised conversation, right? All of us have been practicing doing this for all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if someone doesn't believe that they are funny or that they are capable of doing things in front of other people, that's never the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think improv gives like, really important tools to anyone and everyone to sort of help build their confidence and their ability to communicate with other people.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The idea that we are all always improvising all of the time. (laughs) So anyone can do it and anyone can improve. I think that there's no such thing as a perfect communicator, right? We're always learning how to be better. And I think that improv has allowed me to really embrace that growth mindset of, you know, I can continue to improve on this. And whenever, like, being able to acknowledge that and feel the improvement feels really good. It's it's nice to know that you're growing in that way because communication is important both in STEM but just as a human. So it's mm-hmm. a good thing to be able
2: to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was going to be my leading question, so you just did it. <laughs> um. So, any other closing thoughts that will just slip in, or you want to prompt for something else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. mm
3: -mm. No? No.
2: Friendship. Friendship.
1: It's also a good way to do hobbies with your lab
2: mates. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure you guys are great advocates for improv now. Yeah. (laughs) Between educational tool, outlet, friendship
3: builder. (laughs) Friendship builder. (laughs) We've We've actually... Build the friendship. We've forced... Not forced. We've had... Our lab do a little bit of it. We did a little bit of improv with them our last group retreat last mm-hmm. year. And we're going to do it, I guess, in a week because we have another group retreat. Um, but I think it's it's fun having people that you already have relationships also do it and, yeah. like, have them be surprised by themselves. Ah, oh, so good. <laughs> it's it just, it's so, it's such a wonderful thing to watch someone that you already have a relationship with, like be like, Oh, I can do this. I'm like, I knew you could.
0: (laughs) I already knew this.
3: So that's great. Yeah. Is there
2: anything, it's the last thing I can think of. Um, is there anything remarkable about storytelling that you learned and how you construct, even how you communicate your science from improv?
3: It's a really good question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, so that's a, I think a really important component to like, creating a good scene Mm -hmm. um is finding a way to tell a story finding a beginning a middle and an end um and i think that sort of idea and that mindset is becoming more and more common in like communication of science like even scientific presentations um so i think that doing improv sort of helped um I don't know. I think it, it helps, like, cement the idea of what a story is. Um, and it, I don't know. Um, you know, one
1: difference, like, improv has been very helpful. We've been talking mostly about, like, conversation and collaboration and, like, meeting new people. But it's also incredibly helpful in crafting scientific presentations, mm. as Paige is saying. But it's a little different with that, right? Because we're not typically improving our scientific presentation insofar (laughs) as we have the data already, like we're not making that up. We know where the story is going to go. And so like, that is a little bit of a different angle. Whereas like in an improv scene, you're creating the story together. You don't know where it's going, but using the skills that you gain in improv to tell a story, you know, already exists it's like kind of a bonus. It's like a little bit easier because it's like, okay, I have the core component. Now I'm just going to, you know, set the stage, like make sure you're communicating what the take-home message is. Um, What's the challenge? How did you overcome it? The resolving action. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, like the ability to answer questions because everyone fears that Q&A and you always get a question that you would have never thought of. And being able to face that, um, as an improvised experience makes it a little less scary Mm -hmm.
2: awesome okay well thank you liz and
0: Paige. thank you steph thanks steph and that's it for this episode of the sustainable nano podcast thanks for listening thanks again to Paige kinsley and liz ladadio for talking with us for this interview and to stephanie mitchell for taking part of her lab exchange in madison to be the interviewer our new sustainable nano assistant is emma bublitz welcome emma and our music is by PC3 and Dexter Britton. This podcast is produced by the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which is funded by the National Science Foundation. Our usual disclaimer, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the National Science Foundation. Want more Sustainable Nano? You can subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcast or Stitcher and now on the new National Science Foundation's Science Zone Radio. Or you can listen to any of our episodes and see show notes at podcast.sustainable-nano.com. We also have a blog with over 300 posts, written mostly by students in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which you can find at sustainable-nano.com. And you can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Sustainable Nano, all one word. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Nano podcast. Until next time, remember, there's no small science, only small particles.